Welcome to Vast National Bank. How can I help you? Hey, I'm here to talk to someone about a loan. Oh, I'll grab you the L97B. We call it the just talking form. What about actually applying for a loan? Oh my. Let me pop in a new toner cartridge. Hey, Bill. Want to pass me the big stapler? Yeah, I'm going to try a community bank. Skip the mega bank. When you need a loan, find a community bank at banklocally.org. Welcome back to, I believe, our fifth episode in December. If I'm wrong, let me know, because I'm not that great at counting, but it should be the fifth, because I did two last week and then two on John Bonet. so I think I'm counting that right. Anyways, Christmas is next week, and I am very excited. My house is in full Christmas mode. And tomorrow I go home for about six days to be with my family and make Christmas cookies and do all that fun stuff. And then after that, my boyfriend and I travel to Florida for a week and a half to be with his family and have a crazy New Year's party and a second Christmas. And I think it'll be really fun. If you follow me on Twitter, you know that sadly on Sunday... I lost my pet hedgehog. We had her for six years, and she was a huge part of the family. I got her six years ago on Christmas, and she was my first, like, first, like, my pet. Like, it wasn't anyone else's pet. And the whole family loved her, and everyone who met her loved her. So it was a really rough day, and it's been a really rough few days. And it's just going to be weird, like, not having her sitting on the couch, as she normally does all the time. And I've taken so many Christmas pictures of her in the presents and by the tree and all that. And it's just going to be sad that I don't get to do that this year. She is on our family Christmas card. And I just finished writing them today to send them out. And that was really difficult also. Because when I made the card, I didn't, I thought she was going to be around for another few years. And now having to write, like, oh, she passed away a few days ago, it's very hard. Um, so to everyone who gave their condolences, thank you so much. Um, it should be easier in a few weeks. But as of right now, it's a really hard topic for everyone in my family. We lost also my two pet rats this year, and everyone loved them because they were so sweet. They lived a long life, too. We rescued them from being feed rats. And so it's just kind of been an emotional few months because we lost three pets in a few months. Um, We also gained a pet in the last few months, so we got our little kitten pumpkin who just has been destroying the Christmas tree. I literally have to get a new Christmas tree next year because half the branches are falling off and it just, it looks like a mess. He thinks it's a toy and whatever. He was a rescue too, so he can do whatever the hell he wants. Um, so that was a little bit of joy in the last few months. Anyways, with (laughs) talking about my pets, I did just want to say that 
If you are planning on giving a pet for Christmas, be sure that the person you are giving it to will keep it and take care of it and love it for its entire life. Because a lot of pets are adopted around the holidays as gifts, and then they end up back in shelters. And it's really sad to give those animals a piece of hope and then put them back. It's not okay. But on the other hand, if you are a huge animal lover, now is a great time to go get a shelter pet. Literally any time is a great time to go get a shelter pet. But especially now, get them home and let them have a real Christmas with everyone. I think they would love it. So I'm going to add one more thing before I get into the case. My bunny, we also rescued her because she was going to go back to a shelter from a family that didn't want her anymore. And what I've been discovering is I don't think she had that good of a life before we got her because she's kind of like timid and whenever I bring something like new out of the closet, she gets really excited like she's never seen it before. And she did that when I brought all the Christmas decorations out. She loves ornaments and she loves sitting under the tree and staring at all the lights. If I don't turn on all the lights, because we have two trees and lights in the window, if I don't turn them on early enough, she gets kind of angry because she wants to sit and stare at the lights. So this is our first Christmas with these two pets. And of course, all three of my pets have normal size stockings that are overflowing with stuff already. <laughs> so please give to the shelters or if you're looking to adopt, go get a shelter pet. They really deserve the love, especially at this time of year. So for today, we are jumping back into a case that actually happened on Christmas in 1929. And this is the murder of the Lawson family. So in 1911, Charles Davis Lawson married Fanny Manring, and they had eight children together. That's a lot of kids. My boyfriend is actually one of eight kids, and it's insane. I'm an only child, so anything above being an only child is a little crazy to me. <laughs> so their third child, though, William, born in 1914, unfortunately died of an illness in 1920. So he was only six when he died, and that's very sad, but they lost a kid. So at this point, they then had seven children. And at one point, Marion and Elijah Lawson, which were Charles Lawson's younger brothers, moved to the Germantown, North Carolina area, and Lawson decided, yeah, let's move too. So the whole family moved to Germantown, North Carolina. This family worked as tenant tobacco farmers, but by 1927, they bought their own farm on Brook Cove Road. So in 1929, which is the year we're getting, like, that's the year of the murders that we are getting into now. So in 1929, shortly before Christmas... Charles Lawson, well, Charlie Lawson, sorry, age 43, Fanny, age 37, and their seven children, Mary, age 17, Arthur, age 16, Carrie, age 12, Mabel, age 7, James, age 4, and Raymond, age 2, and Mary Lou, age 4 months. 
they went into town to buy new clothes and have their portrait taken because it was Christmas time. They wanted a new picture. And, you know, why not? So, which this was kind of like a weird thing for working class families around this area and at this time period. Because, like, portraits were expensive back then. You couldn't just snap a photo and print it for 30 cents at Walgreens. It was like, I, I honestly don't know. I'm trying to figure out what it's like, and I didn't look it up. Um, so, give me two minutes. So, I really can't find much talking about, like, exactly how photographs were taken at this time. But, for example, in 1923, the 16mm amateur motion picture format was introduced by Kodak. In 1923, the Herald Edgerton invented the flash lamp for strobe photography. In 1925, Licia introduced the 35mm format to still photography. And in 1926, Kodak introduced its 35mm motion picture duplicating film for duplicating negatives. Before this, they would put two cameras up so they could have two copies of the negatives. So, as you can see, at this time, like, photographs weren't the same as now, obviously. And everything took a lot longer, which caused costs to be a lot higher. And a tobacco farmer isn't someone who could really afford this all the time. So, this was two weeks before... Christmas that they got this taken, so maybe it was going to be like a family Christmas present or something nice for the family. But because it was so uncommon, a lot of people now speculate that these murders were premeditated. So, Arthur Lawson, the 16-year-old, went into town to buy shotgun shells because he thought him and his dad were going to go rabbit hunting on Christmas after two afternoon. Oh my goodness, I cannot talk. Because that was kind of a local tradition around Germantown, North Carolina. I don't know if it was a family tradition, but it also could have been that as well. So while Arthur was gone, Charlie Lawson went to the tobacco barn and he shot and killed and bludgeoned his two middle daughters, which were Carrie and Mabel. Then he went back to the house, killed his wife Fanny who was on the porch at the time. He killed four-month-old Mary Lou because she was crying. Then he went to his 17-year-old daughter Marie, who had just baked a Christmas cake and killed her in the kitchen. After that, Charlie sought out the two younger sons, James and Raymond, who had attempted to hide from him. He ended up positioning all of the bodies by putting pillows under their heads, rocks for the two girls who were left in the barn and crossing their arms in like a funeral pose. This is kind of odd. First of all, it is staging in the crime scene. And secondly, it kind of seems a little ritualistic to do the exact same thing with everybody, even the ones who weren't in the house and like he wasn't able to put pillows under them or anything. So it seems just odd all over. So at first, neighbors were not, like, scared because of the gunshots. They just thought, you know, rabbit hunting because, once again, it was traditional around here. However, relatives then arrived to wish the family Merry Christmas, and they found all the bodies and a 
freshly baked cake. A lot of people believe now that Charlie thought his son Arthur would have tried to stop him from killing everyone, and that's why he was sent to the store. In the picture, you can see that Arthur is larger than his father. So after Charlie killed eight members of his family, sorry, seven, because the one kid was in town, he hid out in the woods. He paced around a tree while tons of people gathered at the house because, like, there were dead bodies and there were police and people were interested. And then as everyone was gathered at the house, they all heard the gunshot of Charlie shooting himself. When he was found, there were two notes in his pockets, but neither were actually completed. So one said, nobody to blame but, and the other one said, troubles can cause. This is kind of, I don't know, it's very cryptic. And a lot of people have kind of put out theories for what they mean and why he did the mass murder-suicide. And we are going to jump into those now. This case doesn't have much within it, but it has a lot of theories around it. Okay, so this is kind of a theory, kind of like hearsay, but it's not like a theory theory. I don't know how to exactly word it, but you'll figure it out. So in 1990, a book about the Lawson family murders was published, and a cousin of Lawson children revealed something. So Stella Lawson Bowles confessed that around the time of the funeral, she had heard a few people saying that Fanny, the mother of the family, had discovered incest in her family before Christmas. Fanny Lawson agonized about the relationship between her husband and 17-year-old Marie. Apparently, they were having, like, an incest affair, which obviously would be very bad in a family. So, it also emerged that a few weeks before Christmas, Marie had shared a secret with her friend Ella Johnson. At a sleepover, she had told Ella that she was pregnant and her father was the father and that both of her parents knew about the pregnancy. Then again from the Lawson family's neighbor, Sam Hill, stated that Charlie had forced himself upon his daughter and that's when she became pregnant. He had warned to her that if she told her mother or anyone else, there would be some killing done. In the family photograph, you can't see that Marie is pregnant, but she stares straight into the family. Not the family, oh my goodness, stares straight into the camera while her father looks like up in the corner and is a little defiant. So, a lot of people believe this was the cause for the massacre. Now, it doesn't make a ton of sense to me, because if, like, Marie was pregnant, 
and he wanted to keep her quiet, and he knew his wife knew. Why did he have to kill the other children, you know? That just doesn't make sense to me. I think that the other children should have been spared. They didn't know anything, so there was no reason to kill them. He could have killed the wife, the oldest daughter, and himself, and that would have taken care of the problem that he saw. Obviously, incest is a terrible problem, but it, I don't think it's a reason to kill someone. Then again, I don't really find a good reason to kill someone, as most sane people don't. So that is our first theory slash fact kind of thing. So another theory that a lot of people have is that um, Charlie going crazy and murdering his family had to do with a head injury that he sustained a few months before the event. So a lot of people theorize that it altered his mental state and was related to the massacre, but an autopsy and analysis of his brain at Johns Hopkins found no abnormalities. So when we get into like serial killers and mass murderers, and murderers in general, a lot of the time they have a like a rough upbringing, which is the first thing. And then a lot of the time there is a history of head injuries or at least one head injury. I know I've looked at quite a few serial killers and most of them have a story of head injury in their childhood. A lot of them have concussion stories, which kind of freaks me out because I have obtained quite a few concussions in my lifetime. I don't feel like I'm a serial killer on the inside, and I've never had a want to kill anyone, so I think I'm doing fine, but it still freaks me out. So a head injury isn't that crazy to think about because a lot of, like literally all your thoughts and stuff, obviously come from your brain and if pieces of it are hurt or missing or you're just not getting enough activity from those places it can really alter your mental state and it can give you an array of mental illnesses and make you do things you would never do in your right mind so this could be a factor but because johns hopkins found no abnormalities, we're not really sure. Now, I'm not sure if an autopsy shows, like, if you can figure out brain activity from an autopsy, as you can with, like, an MRI or something along those lines. But if you can't, that could also be a theory to look into. Maybe his brain activity was something that was off, and that's what set off the massacre not just brain damage, if that makes sense. So Payne Road is the road that the Lawson family home was on, so that's obviously where the Lawson family murders took place. And the legend of Payne Road is a big thing in North Carolina. It is supposed to be one of the most haunted roads in North Carolina, and that is because of multiple things. There was a death of a man named Frank Edwards who killed himself in 1954 by putting a stick of dynamite in his mouth. And then in 1992, a woman was brutally murdered and tied to a tree 
near the house. So because of these murders and, of course, the Lawson family murders, a lot of people believe Payne Road, which is now Edwards Road, is extremely haunted. So there's a few different things. It is legend that if you drive on the road at night, Charlie Lawson will follow you without headlights in his pickup truck. And there have even been people that say they've been run off the road. Here's a direct quote from Jordan Stutz. I went to Payne Road roughly 35 years ago when it was still dirt. We were also chased off the road. We got so scared we hightailed it out of there back to Rural Hall, which is the town. I had heard that moonshiners worked in the cornfield in the bottoms, and it was probably one of them. Still kind of creepy if you're getting run off the road by moonshiners who are trying to hide what they're doing. But also, if you go on the bridge that is on the road, which looks creepy overall because it is like an overgrown wood and like it just looks like a really creepy like one-way bridge. I don't know if I'd be comfortable driving through there. But if you stop on there and you say Dixie, apparently your car will not start back up, which <laughs> seems really terrifying. And also, there's a lady spotted in a tree overhanging the bridge. Cars have been said to simply stop while going over the old wooden bridge, and there have been handprints found on the outside of cars after leaving the road. So if you are one of those people who's like, yeah, let's go hang out with ghosts and let's go see if this stuff is true, then Payne Road, or now known as Edwards Road, might be a good place to go to even though I would not suggest it. I'm not someone who believes in the supernatural, but if there is moonshiners out there trying to hide something, I would stay away from there. So this was kind of a short case, but I wanted to include it because it is a very famous Christmas case, and it actually happened on Christmas. On Thursday, we'll be back to like a normal length case, and... I'm actually really excited about the case I'm going to do Thursday. I'm not going to give away any details, but I think you guys will like it. It is not a super well-known case, but it is very interesting, so it should keep your attention. Anyways, I hope you guys have a great holiday season. I have to finish packing because I'm going to be gone for two and a half weeks, and I need to probably finish cleaning a few more things, but I'm kind of lazy and all my pets are sleeping on the couches right now, so I feel like doing the same. Anyways, follow me on Twitter at Great Unsolved, and just have a great night and holiday season. We will see you Thursday. With one of the best savings rates in America, banking with Capital One is the easiest decision in the history of decisions. Even easier than choosing Slash to be in your band. Next up for lead guitar. You're in. 
cool. <laughs> yep, even easier than that. And with no fees or minimums on checking and savings accounts, is it even a decision? That's banking reimagined. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com slash bank for details. Capital One and a member FDIC.